0: Thanks, Allie, for sharing the scripture today. Uh, This story takes place after the time of Jesus, after Jesus leaves, after he ascends into heaven. And here we have Peter and John, two followers of Jesus, two of Jesus' closest friends, are still in Jerusalem. But everything's changed for them. Jesus is now gone. And what we find is that they're going to the temple to pray, as they would do every single day at 3 p.m., for them, uh, their religious experience, they had set times in the day that they would, would gather to pray. And they held those very sacred. And they're on their way to pray and they meet this crippled. And then they have this encounter with the crippled that changes the crippled's life forever. And so what we find here in the story is that Peter is doing something very significant. And when, when Jesus leaves, he basically promises his followers Kind of two things. The first is that Jesus says, you guys are going to end up doing what I do. And and you're going to do greater things than what I have done here while I was on earth. Which is like a pretty outstanding statement for Jesus to make. Uh, the other thing that Jesus says is that his spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to, to come upon his followers and it's going to empower them. And so in this story, what we find is it takes place right after Acts chapter 2 when the spirit that Jesus promised comes and, and, and basically invades their life and, and empowers them to, to be kind of this new church. And so the Holy Spirit is something that we, we, we understand as something that empowers us and guides us Uh, but it's God's presence in our life. It's something that unites us. And now they have the Holy Spirit and they're starting to do the things that Jesus did. And Peter in the story heals this man who's crippled, which is significant because if you read through the gospels, the stories of Jesus, the accounts of his life, uh, Peter isn't a very confident person. He might be uh, pretty arrogant or bold, uh, but he also has kind of this, this lack of, of faith. And so at times, Jesus says that he's dull. At one time, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, we know the story of him getting out of the boat, trying to walk on water. Jesus says, you have little faith. Uh, when, when Jesus gets arrested, Peter actually denies Jesus three times. And so the, the, the Peter that we see in the Gospels is much different than the Peter that we see in the book of Acts in the story. And what happens is that Peter has experienced transformation. Peter has experienced Christ transforming him into the kind of person that he is supposed to be. It doesn't mean that he's perfect, but now he's doing things uh, empowered by the Spirit that Jesus said that he would do. And what we find is when Peter writes a letter to the early church in his uh, letter, 1 Peter, he uses this phrase that he's experienced this great mercy and has a new birth into a living hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter, post-resurrection, has been transformed, and because of that great mercy, into this new birth with a living hope. We've been talking about hope this month, this idea of loosing hope, unleashing hope. A new church, what we're called to do is basically unleash hope into a community the hope that's found in Christ. And so we've talked about basically that Jesus is the hope of the world. God is reconciling the world through him. And then his church, the body of Christ, is is also the hope of the world because we are the hands and feet of Jesus doing the things that Jesus told us to do, the greater things than these, what Peter's doing in this story. And so we've talked about what hope means. And the hope is that, that hope would be activated in our hearts, that it would be overflowing from us. And so we've talked about how hope... And in our situation, we know that the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus, is more powerful than our circumstances. It's more powerful than our past. And this hope that we have is that the world is actually heading somewhere, that the kingdom of God is is coming, this place where everything happens exactly how God wants it to happen. And we're catching glimpses of it here and now, and that's the hope that we have. So Peter has this hope, and he's starting to share it. So he talks about great mercy to a new birth and through a living hope. And Peter starts to share the hope that he has. In the story, he comes to this crippled, this man who's limited physically, and he shares hope with them, and he performs this miracle. And what happens is, what happens physically to this man where he experienced healing, um, I believe reveals to us the heart of God and the heart of what God wants for our church. When we come across people who are limited or oppressed or crippled in any way to bring this idea of, of healing and hope. And so this is a time where hope starts to be shared. When hope is shared, I would say that hope shared brings a fulfillment of longing. It says that this man is basically, he, he's been crippled since birth. He's been crippled his whole life. And he's been sitting outside of this gate, outside of the temple, which I'm sure Jesus walked by all the time when he was here, which raises the question, why did Jesus not do anything about it? But this man's been longing for healing, and now it's done through Peter, done through Jesus' church. This man has this deep longing that he's experienced this crippleness his whole life, and finally something happens to him. Crippled from birth, outside the temple courts every single day, and then one day, all of a sudden, Peter shows up, empowered by the Spirit of Christ, and heals this man. When we share hope with others, we fulfill these deep longings that we have. other people that other people have. And we think about throughout the scriptures, the people of God had these longings that they knew my world isn't right. There's something wrong with me. I'm limited. I'm crippled. And there's this longing for healing and restoration. And all of us have that same longing. As the church, when we share hope with others, we fulfill that longing, which is ultimately a longing for Christ and the full contentment of life that comes through God. Uh, The second thing that happens when we we share hope, uh, hope shared brings strength and healing to people. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. It talks about how this man was healed physically. And I believe that God heals people of physical ailments, as well as emotional and spiritual and relational things that cripple us, that God is a God of healing. We call him the great physician. And I believe that he works miracles. I don't know how the miracles work. It's like the, the St. Augustine's who said, miracles don't work in opposition of nature, but in opposition of what we know of nature. Might, maybe you'll say miracles work in opposition, not of science, but of what science knows of the world. But the thing is that, that God, God wants us to be restored and healed. And, and, and what we find is that he does it in all sorts of different ways. And here it's a physical healing. And maybe you've experienced something like that in your life or you know someone who has or it's unexplainable. They've had this thing that's been hindering them or hurting them and all of a sudden God shows up and there's this miraculous healing. And the same thing happens in us in our spirit and in, the same thing happens to us emotionally. That God shows up and all of a sudden there's this experience of healing where we have strength and healing that comes. We believe that life in Christ, healing is offered. Not sure how it always works, but we believe God is healing and restoring and redeeming. And for this man, this crippled, he experiences that in this encounter with God's followers and Peter and John. We live in a world that's broken and that's hurting. Just on Friday, some of our dear friends that we've known for quite some time grew up with their children. This is kind of a couple that's starting to get a little bit older now. We're in a car wreck on Friday, very devastating car wreck. They uh, were driving and were hit by a person who uh, had a diabetic coma, swerved into the road, hit him head on at 50 miles an hour. And the husband's okay, he's bruised, but the wife broke both of her legs and she's in surgery right now. You hear stories like this and it's like we're so close to these people and we know them so well and then this is so quickly life changes for them. We live in this fragile world where things get broken and we believe that God is putting things back together. We believe that he's with us in the things that are broken and he's healing and restoring and giving strength. As a church, when we share hope, we bring strength and healing to people who've experienced injury. The third thing that hope shared brings restoration and purpose. And I love this crippled when the strength comes to him, he jumps up and he's walking and he's jumping and he's praising God. So God doesn't just heal us for the sake of healing us, but he heals us because he's restoring us to be the kind of people that he's created us to be. And for this man, all of a sudden, he's able to use his limbs again. He's able to jump up and run around, things that he's never been able to do, but was created with legs and created with the ability that he should be able to walk. He finally experiences that. I think when we share hope with the world, when God shares hope in our lives, all of a sudden we're able to do things that we were created to do. So we share hope because we want to activate people to be the kind of people God created them to be, to give them purpose. Number four is that hope shared brings recognizable evidence that God is at work in the world. And this is what we do as a church, too. Right now, our children are talking about the fruits of the Spirit this month. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Evidence that God is at work. Evidence that he is here. And the fruit of our labor, the fruit of work as a church, when we share hope, is that all of a sudden, God is recognizable. And the people saw this man who was crippled. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging. And now they see that something good has happened, that God has brought healing. And so when we share hope, we're pointing people to the idea that God is at work in our world. And then finally, this fifth idea of hope shared from the story, it brings wonder and amazement. All the people were filled with wonder and amazement after what had happened. And so we live in this world uh, where anything can happen because of God. He can break through um, our lives and anything can happen. And it leaves us filled with awe and wonder. That's why we come and we worship him. There's this God who's infinite that is, I believe, un- you know, he, he's created everything, created the universe, this gigantic God full of awe and wonder, who also loves us so much that he has this relationship with us as humans. And even in his, his vast infinite being, he's able to come down to our level, and connect with us. And when we share hope, we share basically this awe and wonder. So this is what we find in the story of this crippled who's shared hope with from Peter and John. But what does this mean for us practically as a church? And for the last month, we've been kind of talking about what does hope kind of mean for us individually, and it's been kind of this internal look at what's going on inside of our soul. But what does that mean for us as a church? And so I want to talk just kind of practically about, I think, really what I feel like we're called to in this community and what we're kind of working towards and what we kind of want to be as a people of God. I believe that Hope Shared is both an internal and an external movement. It's internal and it's external. It's internal because it's something God does in us, but then it also is external because it goes out into the community. And when we think about the church's role in society, the church's role in culture, the church's role in this world. We're starting a new church. We're inviting people to join in, and we're sharing hope with others. I and mean, what I think for the most part, the strategy of the church has been, if you go to this next slide, I designed this on my Mac. Thank you very much. Sophia helped me. But the strategy is we have this world outside, right? It's the secular world. It's the city that we live in. And then we have church. And so, oftentimes what we think is we want this movement to take people from the world and then put them into church. And when you look at statistics around our city in the North Valley Scottsdale area, 87% of people don't have a home church. They don't have a church to say, this is what I belong to. This is where I worship. um, This is where I serve. That's a pretty large number of people. This week, we had parent-teacher conferences with our, our son, Micah, who's in four-year-olds over at Benchmark Academy, which is a, uh, it's a public school. It's a charter school, but it's public. Talking to uh, his teacher, and his teacher was saying, you know, coming through Christmas, we were talking a lot about like, Hanukkah and, and Christmas and what the kids celebrate. And she said what she found was that in her class, only three children out of the 24, 25 children in the classroom go to church. That's a pretty alarming number. Not many people in that class go to church. And at first I was like, that can't be true. Maybe they just don't understand it. She said, oh no, we, we think that that's, that's the real number. Three out of this group of 24, 25 kids actually have a home church that they go to every single Sunday. So there's this huge world of people who aren't involved in these communities of hope and faith and love. And so the thought is we need to get all of these people out here into the church. And so like what the action is tends to be this. It's like, if we could just, you know, become, large enough that all these people come in and the church grows. And and then, and, and the tendency is like, we're trying to grow the church. And we forget that what happens in stories like in Acts chapter 10 happens before they get to church, right? The action happens on the way to church outside the doors of the synagogue. And so when we look at it this way, it's like the church becomes like the destination for people. And as a new church, as a church plant, I would like to say that this The church isn't the destination, but Jesus is the destination for what we're doing here. Yeah, we want to grow a church. We want to start a new church in this community. But we believe that the church isn't the kingdom of God. The church serves the kingdom of God, this idea of this world that we live in. So we don't want to just simply grow this large church for the sake of having a big church. We don't want to just build a big sanctuary. We want to build saints in this community. So it's not about this idea of the church is the destination, but it's this idea that Jesus is is the destination. And what we find is that when Peter and John come to this man who's crippled, they say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. They've experienced Christ. They've experienced Jesus. He is with them, and he's the destination. So talking about even what we're doing here as we grow in influence, it's never been you know, about establishing just another church organization or church building But the destination is, are we building the kingdom of God, joining God's work in this community to establish something where people come in and experience Christ? The other thing that happens, I think, is with the church, when the destination is the church, we're called to make disciples. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Make disciples who make disciples. People who follow Jesus were transformed into the likeness of Christ. And what tends to happen in churches is, as we're trying to disciple people, we disciple them into the DNA of the church. And we create more church people. But we're called to disciple people into the likeness of Christ. We're called to disciple them to be like Jesus, not just to be like who we are as a church. And so what happens is every kind of church and organization has its own DNA and culture. And we say, like, this is who we are and this is what we do. And to follow Jesus, you kind of got to agree to these kind of things that, that we are. And some of those things are good. But what happens is we tend to create church people instead of followers of Jesus. And then as a church gets older and and as it goes through changes, people start clinging to the idea of what church was like in its heyday. And they stop clinging to the idea of I'm a follower of Jesus. And so this is what happens when you're in an older church and all of a sudden Aunt Gertrude's arguing about why we're changing the color of the carpet, right? And so we create church people instead of followers of Jesus. And as a new church, I don't want just the church to be the destination. I want Jesus to be the destination, And as a new church, I want to disciple people into the likeness of Christ, not just the likeness of of what Desert City Church looks like here. And I think this is a tool for people. This is the servant of the kingdom, but this isn't the kingdom. And so those are a couple of of things. Here's what I think needs to happen. This idea of these circles is the church's activity in the world, we've seen that we've lost influence, right? Only 13% of people in this area are going to church on a Sunday. The idea isn't to just simply get them into church, but the idea is to get them into, it, my thought is, community of where they're going to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And then have them released back into the world. The church is at the destination. Christ is the destination and his activity in the world. This is a lot of information, I know. But um, so here's, here's kind of the, the, the emphasis I want to put. We want to disciple people so that they can be the church in the community throughout the week. And not just here on a Sunday morning. So they come into church, but then they're released back into the world. So there's these Phoenicians who are being transformed into passionately engaged Jesus followers. Because when you look at the statistics, church has lost influence in our, in our culture. It just has. People aren't going to church any, anymore the way that they used to. And if we're interested in making disciples of Christ here, it's not about just getting people to come into the doors, but it's about training people to go out into our communities to connect with people in a way that disciples them into the likeness of Christ. And so how do we do that as a church that's occupying a a public school right now? Part of it is we continue to build relationships and we continue to meet here. But the vision that I really have and a lot of other people have is that as we create this church, this new church, we're not necessarily into like, at least in in the near future, of of finding this permanent spot where we we go and we we buy land and we end up getting a building and we go through this building campaign. We want our building campaign to be people. That's who we're building. And so our thought is, our next steps as we meet and we gather in here and as we grow in influence is to find what I would call a a shared space, a shared space for the community. And as, as we look at this community, we'd like to find a place that we can share with the community where the church and the culture intersect. And it's a shared space where we can share hope. A shared space where we can share hope. And a couple of things that we found I think are really big needs of this neighborhood and this community. And I think this helps kind of shape where we're going is the first is I think a huge need is workspace, mobile workspace in our culture. Um, most people's jobs have become mobile and there's a lot of, especially in Phoenix, small businesses, a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners. And there's, there's a huge need for shared workspace. Down in downtown Phoenix, there is a, a business called Cahoots. It's a collaborative work environment where people from a number of different businesses come together and work throughout the week. And they rent space, um, but they have a place to go where they don't have their own permanent, like necessarily their permanent office. But they work together out of this collaborative workspace. And, and we think this area of town needs something like that, too. And if you go into a Starbucks, anytime between really 7.30 and 9.30, you're going to be standing in a, in a line, and what you're going to find is that there's people camped out everywhere on computers working because we live in a mobile working society. Everyone's job is mobile now. So we want to find a space that can, uh, we can create this basically mobile workspace. And The other thing that we think would be huge uh, need for this community is if we had a space like that, and then we had a childcare element to it. Mars and I love going to IKEA because the food's cheap, but you can also drop your kids off in this really cool uh, childcare uh, environment, and and they can just go and they have fun. And we felt, thought like, what if we created a, a a mobile working environment that had a childcare element to it, like IKEA. So working moms in the community could come and drop their kids off and get some work done. Moms could come and have playdates there and meet and throughout the week. But what would that look like if we actually had an environment throughout the week that the community knew we could go to that and drop our kids off and they were going to be safe and loved on, and then we can get stuff done. And then the third thing that we think is a really huge need is, is just community here. We live in such an individualistic society especially on this side of town where it's kind of suburban living. We, we drive in our SUVs, park in our garages. Some people live in gated communities, but community is, is really lacking. And so our thought is if we create a place that's a go-to for the community on, on, uh, throughout the week where they can come and they can collaborate, they can have good coffee, and they can connect, we think that would be a huge need here. And we believe that as a church, this gives us the opportunity to relationally connect with others throughout the week, not just on a Sunday morning. And this is a place that the church can use on a Sunday morning for worship, but also throughout the week we can be in community with our neighbors. And I really believe this is kind of a motion that as, as we look at church plants, as we look at really kind of where churches are going, we need all sorts of different ministries and churches in the city. But this uh, meets a niche of people who may not ever walk into a church on a Sunday morning, but would be able to experience this this kind of community, this kind of authentic relationships. So as we share hope with the community, we want to create this, this shared space where we can share hope. And so that's kind of where we're heading right now. And uh, that's kind of uh, the, the conversations that, that we're having is trying to identify this place. And we think that it needs to be in Desert Ridge. And this is all kind of a new area, and there's not a lot of space available in Desert Ridge. But this is kind of where we're heading, and. Go to the next slide. I think that to do this, to share hope with others, to have a shared space where we can share hope, what this requires, first and foremost, from you, I believe, um, from all of us, is prayer. A commitment to prayer. Commitment to praying for uh, this this community, the neighborhood, the city that we live in. When we look at the story in Acts chapter 3, we have uh, John and Peter going to the synagogue to pray. For them, prayer is a staple of of their life, of everything they do. To commit to praying for this part of the city. There's this verse in Jeremiah 29 to 7. When the people of God were put into exile, these are uh, basically what they were commanded to do. It says, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Um, this idea of seeking the peace and prosperity of our city. Um, when we talk about the Lord's Prayer of, of, of uh, God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, uh, we should be citizens of heaven, uh, which means uh, we're citizens of this kingdom uh, of, of peace and reconciliation and love and hope. And, and so we are, as you just said, salt and light to our communities because we're working towards God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. we bring healing and restoration to things that are broken, and we bring opportunity and love uh, to our communities. So to, to pray, praying for the city every single day, to take time and just pray, God, what are you up to in this city? How can we join in? How can you create opportunities so we can make this place a better place? Um, I love it with with Tim Keller and and Center Church, which has formed kind of a lot of my thinking. He says, cities have more image of God per square inch than anywhere else. And in Phoenix, there's all sorts of numbers of, there's like 4 million people here, or 6 million people here, or a bunch of people that we can't account for. But the truth is, um, all of those people are made in the image of God. That's a lot of image of God in one area. Phoenix is a large city, fifth largest in the country, sometimes the sixth, depending on the recession numbers. We live in a huge city that's full of people who are made in the image of God. So let's spend time praying for our city and praying for those who inhabit it and see ourselves as missionaries in the city. The second thing, hope shared, requires cultural engagement. This, requires cultural, this, is, this is why we go out to places like Desert Ridge. We just spend time in the culture. The church isn't called to just retreat from the culture. The church isn't called to just criticize the culture. The church is called to engage the culture and to redeem culture. And we live in uh, a city where culture is pretty diverse. We're not in a place like Boston or New York that has these real distinct cultures. Uh, We're in a megaburb, right? A mega suburb is what people call Phoenix. It's a very transient city. Most people that are here are are living here. They're not from here. But are we in touch with what it means to to be a Phoenician, to live in the valley? And are we willing to engage what it means? What is the, the culture of our city? To engage it and then to redeem it. Uh, for the kingdom of God. I think that culture is, is changed not when we criticize it, but when we create new culture. So the idea of, of starting a new church is we're inviting people in, in, in this new context to fall in love with Jesus. We're creating um, something that in the culture, I believe, will be good and helpful and enriching to this part of the city. So cultural engagement is required if we want to share hope. The third thing we're almost done is uh, hope shared requires approachability and connection. For for Peter and John, this guy calls out to them. There's something about, I'm I'm sure he's begging um, from a lot of people, but John and Peter stop and connect with this guy. Are we approachable as people, as followers of Jesus? Are we approachable as a church? And are we willing to make connections? So as a new church, it's not about just inviting your friends, but it's about making new friends in the community. Are we willing to do that, to have an approachability and the ability to connect with others, even those who are different than us, who look different than us, and act different than us, that think different than us. Um, I believe if we want to share hope. We have to have this approachability and connection. I think that we need to be the go-to people in this neighborhood. Um, and we're starting to see that even last week with the farmer's market, these relationships that are forming with the people who are, are kind of the movers and shakers um, in this neighborhood. Um, great things happening with those connections, and them calling us and saying, with this next farmer 's market here 's something that we would really use help with. We want to become the go-to people here. The fourth thing hope shared requires courage and confidence, and this is something that we have in Peter as he says, "Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. Do we have the courage and confidence that as the body of Christ, this new church and this community, that we 're called to make transformative difference here? I love this quote that I read. I actually just saw it on Twitter, but I don't even know who Bruce Barton is. But I'm like, wow, that's a really good quote. So there's no context for it. Sorry, but it says nothing splendid has ever been achieved except by those who dared to believe that something inside them was superior to circumstance. And I love that because what is inside of us, this hope that we've been talking about, um, that we're trying to to uh, to activate in our lives, and we're having, we want to, to just flow out of us. The hope that we have is in Jesus, and Uh, like we talked about the first week, um, the power of the king is more powerful than our circumstances. And so as we start this new church, we have this confidence and courage that what God is doing in us and what he's called us to do is greater than any circumstances that we face. So we approach everyone with this courage and confidence. And finally, Hope Shared requires a commitment to a long but flexible vision uh, for the kingdom. A long but flexible vision. Um, I once heard that church planning is... uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? It's something that you need to, to be established in an area for a long time to get in touch with that culture as you engage with the culture and spend time working in an area, plowing. Um, we call it a church plant because it's like we've dropped a seed in the ground and now we nourish it and we plant it and uh, we water it and God makes it grow. And then someday there's a harvest, and this is a seed that we've planted in the ground that you're a part of, and that we'd love for you to stay and to, to help nurture it and help it grow so that we can become this go to place in the community. But I, 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 over the last year, read this book by Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it talked about this idea of committing to a community, to a church community, and uh, being a part of it for a, for a long time. What happens to your own soul, to your own uh, emotional health to be connected to something for that long, and the same heading in the same direction, and knowing this is what the calling is. And the strategies can change, but this is what the calling is. I think that when we share hope, this is required. This commitment to being a part of something for a long time, and uh, and our hope is that Desert City Church. This is what we want to be. Is we want to be in this community. In 30 years from now, we want to look back and say, remember when there was this group of, of 40 adults gathered in that elementary school and look what's happened now because of it. And so there's this commitment to saying we're, we're a part of this kingdom activity. We're not about building a church. We're about building saints. We're about building disciples. And we believe that the community will be better for it. So hope shared. What can you do this week? Um, we talk about these requirements of sharing hope. Pretty simple as this. The first thing is to pray this week, to spend time in prayer, prayer for the city, uh, prayer for your neighborhood, prayer for your family, to spend time uh, in prayer. This is the the easiest thing to do as a follower of Jesus. And it's also like the hardest thing to do um, is to simply stop and pray. Uh, The second thing is to find one person that needs to experience hope this week that you can share hope with. And uh, you can start with, I think, the, the easy person, which is family or close friends. But who are you in contact this week with that needs to have hope shared with them and be intentional about making that connection and have courage to make that connection, to share hope with them? And then the third thing is to find some sort of kingdom endeavor that you are a part of. Maybe it's at work. Um, maybe it is just something that you're volunteering with in the neighborhood, um, and to commit to that kingdom endeavor, to find one thing. And this could be, it doesn't have to necessarily be ministry uh, related, but it's what is going to help make the city a better place, and how can I be a disciple of Jesus in that? So pray, find one person, and find one endeavor this week um, is kind of the calling, and share hope, Um, share hope. So uh, Hannah and Richard are going to come back up. It's a lot of information but this is kind of the, the vision that we have and we're still working on the details of how we're going to implement this, how we're getting it into place. Um, more and more conversations are, are taking place and this is something that you can pray for is this opportunities would continue to open up and grow um, as we see kind of what the next steps are for us as a church. And uh, my hope is that, that, that what we're doing here would continue, and we're not necessarily in a, a huge hurry to get out of here, and we think that as relationships grow, God will open up the doors um, uh, in his timing. Obviously, as a, a new church, we want everything to happen instantly, um, but that's usually not the case. Things take time to develop, but our prayer is that God would continue to guide us, and this is who we want to be here. Let's just take some time to, to reflect and reflect on, 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 on this passage of sharing hope, what it means uh, for us, where we find ourselves in this story and how we can share, share hope in the community. And when you're ready, we have communion that's available off here to my right. And uh, we take communion every week. And this is a place where we just kind of center everything around, around Christ and what he's done. Uh, we believe that communion, um, when we talk about healing of the world, and this is how it happens, is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. The bread represents his body that's broken open. Uh, the juice represents his blood that's poured out. And from that breaking of, of him comes healing and restoration uh, for the world. And so as you are ready to move towards communion, do that in remembrance of what God has done and the story that we're a part of, to receive hope from Christ and then to share it, uh, share it with others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for, uh, for gathering us here. We thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for your church, your body, that we get to be a part of. Lord, we don't take it for granted that we can meet here and worship you in public. We don't take it for granted, Lord, that uh, that we have freedom to do that. We thank you for that. Lord, as, uh, as we're just getting started here as a church, Lord, I just pray that you would guide us, that you would direct us, that you would give us courage, that you would open up doors in this community, um, that we would grow in influence so that your name can be made uh, famous here, Lord. But as we move to this time of communion, we would just ask that you would stir in our hearts, that you would speak to us. That you would transform us, that you would fill us with your hope so that we may share hope uh, with our neighbors. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is living in despair, that's living a hopeless life, Lord. Uh, that they would experience your goodness today. That they would experience your presence. That they would be strengthened in their legs so they could stand and walk and jump and praise. That your hope would just infiltrate hearts today, Lord. We give you this time. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of this, this body of Christ. In your son's name we pray. Amen.